Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. Today is a special roundtable edition of the CMO Podcast. We are recording this during the Next Gen CMO Academy at Deloitte University in Dallas, Texas, where about 50 rising CMOs gather for three days of learning, coaching, and inspiration. The theme of this roundtable will be, what else but leadership, as that is a theme of the week here at Deloitte University. My guests today for this leadership roundtable are first, Jen Kretschmar, the Chief Digital and Merchandising Officer at Build-A-Bear Company. Second, Emily Culp, a partner at advisory firm ECH Ventures, board member for three companies, and the former CMO for Ked Shoes. And third, Leanne Hester, the Chief Marketing and Solutions Officer for TriMedics, an innovative firm that helps health systems better manage their clinical assets. Leanne also has a side hustle as a yoga instructor. This is our Leadership Roundtable with Jen, Emily, and Leanne. Welcome, Emily, Leanne, and Jen to the special edition of the CMO Podcast here at Deloitte University in Dallas. I just have to ask you, two of you are here for the first time. So what is your first impression of the amazing Deloitte University outside Dallas, Texas? Emily? I am amazed. Um, I also will say it took me a quarter of a mile to walk to my room. So comfortable shoes are a legit requirement here. But seeing cows frolicking around uh, just brings joy. But as you walk the half mile, there were several places to stop and have chocolate and candy and fruit and coffee, right? I will say the Starbucks was definitely top of mind. Jen? Well, I hopped uh, out of the the great ride from the airport and bounced right um, through the doors. And I was so delighted with the hospitable mm. reception. I have to say it put me in the mood from, you know, frenetic travel these days to did I just arrive somewhere for work or am I at a retreat? <laughs> and it felt great to take a breath for a second and meet a lot of friendly new people. Um, it's a beautiful facility and I am impressed by already I've seen um, so many different, I'll call them stations, it looks like, where um, I'm going to have some fun experiencing some new technology. Um, the food is fantastic and the room is quite comfortable. It's so. such a statement about their people. This was built to train their own people. So very, very rarely do outsiders like us come in. So it's, it's so, and it was designed by consultants to be really, really great for travelers. So they have it all thought out. It's an amazing customer experience in every way. Leanne, it's your second trip, correct? It is. Yes. So what's your, what's your impression of it? What's your experience with here with Deloitte University? I would say echoing very much um, what the others have said, that you come in and it's just this welcoming experience um, where you kind of let yourself 
down, you know, you let down your guard down and you're like, oh, I can really just enjoy this. And from being here um, a previous time, the engagement over the couple of days, it's so well thought out, um, not only with the food and the activities, but really just so that you can meet other people from the industries and um, really engage in lots of interesting topics. Well, we're here this week to talk about leadership, right? The entire focus of Deloitte University is about leadership. And the people who are coming here are almost CMOs. They're very accomplished people. But the whole goal this week is to help them be even better leaders. So I want to start right there with this concept of leadership. And I want each of you to talk about, when I say leadership, when you think about leadership, break it down. It's one of those big words, you know, like innovation or like diversity. Transformation. Transformation. It means a lot of different things to different people. So I'd like each of you to talk about what is leadership to you? How do you know it when you see it? What happens when it's not there? Hmm. Emily, do you want to start us off on this? Sure. I think your first question, which I really liked, is how do you know when you see it? Um, If I was going to think back in my career, amazing leaders that I've had the privilege to work for and with, um, some of the characteristics for me, one is humility. A second one that means a lot to me is grace, in particular, Mm -hmm. grace under pressure. Um, You know, as leaders, you don't get to control the macro and microeconomic conditions. I think this past three years has certainly taught all of us that. Um, But how people perform under pressure, I think, says a lot about their leadership style and capabilities. Um, Another thing that's really important to me is um, being transparent and also really being accountable, setting that... um, tone for all employees, because when you're accountable, you're going to hopefully deliver, but you're also going to miss. If you are looking for that great Kager growth and really to step change a business, you're going to have misses. And I think a great leader is someone who not only sets that vision and amazing goals that you want to reach for, but when you have the misses, own them and talk about what everyone learned and then make it a culture of wanting to strive and do better. And that curiosity and learning is rewarded. So those are some of the elements to me. Um, love to hear what some of my other friends would say. Before we leave you, Emily, is sure. there a leader that you can think about in your life, your career, who's really embodied those principles you have just talked about? Oh, such a good question. Um, you know, it's actually interesting. One of, I didn't, directly work for her, but I had the privilege of indirectly working with her at Unilever. And then I had the unique opportunity to um, report into her at Wolverine as a board member. Uh, Her name is Gina Boswell. She ran North America and actually, I think, uh, all of the UK for Unilever at different points. She is just one of those really unique, special people who I am consider very fortunate also as like a mentor at this point. Leanne, leadership for you. I'd like to touch on something she said Mm -hmm. too. I think grace under pressure and under fire is so important because the leaders that I can think back to, when something bad is going on, you want them in the room. And I think that really represents what leadership is, not only the inspiring to do things, but also when things are going maybe not as well as you would like, you're there in the room with the individuals and supporting them. And I think that's really important um, so that 
you know, I always say bad news should travel faster than the good news. So I think that's really important. Um, I think the second thing is um, inspiration is really important because, as we said, you could have um, a really tough market. You can experience things we couldn't plan for, and particularly being in healthcare, we've experienced more over the last two and a half years than we could have ever thought about. But when you have the right team and they know that they're at least in it together, you can get through a bad product launch, bad market conditions if the team's inspired together. And I think that's incredibly important. And then the third thing I would say is how do you continue to build future leaders um, and help really invest in the next generation to grow? And when I think about leadership, I think that's probably one of the most important things we can do. And for good and leaders that I've had invested in me early in my career to help me do that. And I think that's um, when the, you know, the spotlight moves from you and more into what the team is doing mm-hmm. and how you can help them grow. Can you think of a leader in your life who's embodied these principles for you? Um, I, I can actually. It's interesting. Uh, as a CEO of a large health system, uh, the first one I worked for, um, by a gentleman by the name of Bill Corley. And uh, he met with me, and I was um, extremely young at the time. And I'll never forget, he said, uh, a car has a rearview mirror and it has the windshield. And the reason that the rearview mirror is so small is that you shouldn't spend time looking behind you, but you should spend time looking in front of you. Um, and, you know, he had hundreds of physicians with a very large health system. And the fact that he took the time to do that with somebody that was, you know, two years out of college um, and invests in me, I'll always remember. I love that. Yeah. That's a great visual reference. Yeah, it is. And I'd love to build on, too, what you were saying on succession, but also thinking about leadership qualities on empowering. Yes. Really fundamentally empowering people to shine and excel. And as you said, let them grow. And that, in part of growing, is making mistakes, but it's also delivering as well. Jen, you've had lots of time to think about this. You've you've gotten some inspiration <laughs> from your two colleagues here. So, for you, what is leadership? How do you, how do you think about it? Describe it. What's it like when it's there? What's it like when it's not there? Yeah, I think for me, thinking uh, about leadership and my own journey with leadership, uh, the last couple of years has really rewritten that for me. Uh, I feel like it's been a, a reset in the last couple of years and. I am acutely aware of how important strong leadership can be during um, some of the most challenging and changing times that I think we'll probably see. And the the qualities that I believe have been the most important, um, particularly at at Build-A-Bear, we are a very collaborative, high-engaging team. And we we really fed our energy came from being together in the office and our our teamwork we were a high touch well we used to say high touch now we say high engagement because mm-hmm. touching understood <laughs> yes yes um, but we're we're a high engagement uh, company our brand is built on experience and that carries through in the office and so um, in the last couple of years it was really a test I think of leadership across all levels of the organization to figure out how do we continue that incredible culture in a totally new environment. Mm. And I found that uh, being able to adapt quickly, to be able to pivot and change direction quickly, 
and communicate effectively with team members in new environments and assess and listen to what is going on um, was one of the most vital elements of leadership that has, uh, I think, helped us progress as a company in the last couple of years and candidly be successful. We came through a complete shutdown to achieve uh, the most profitable year in the history of our company last year. I am really amazed at those results. And I think it's through this collaborative leadership that we were able to employ uh, remotely through prioritizing our associates and being able to keep in touch with them. We created virtual bear quarter meetings. We um, changed our COVID meetings to success meetings. The nomenclature that we used as leaders, uh, I think helped bring the teams along together. And we never lost sight of how important it is to stay in touch with our employees, with our colleagues. Um, And we really did make that a key priority throughout the last few years. And uh, I feel like that's been just a a huge quality of leadership just throughout the entire organization. One of the things that you said today that really struck me is it's recognizing the person as a whole, not just here, Mm -hmm. I have my work life here, I have my personal life, but I think with COVID and with everything over the last two years, and then as you describe that, it's recognizing how do we engage the individual holistically versus just this little component of their life probably made a huge difference. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. As I think about the leaders in my life who I really remember, who had a significant impact on me, it's a feeling I remember. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'd like you each to talk about, you've worked with a lot of leaders in your careers. You are leaders. The best ones in your experience, how did they make you feel? What was it about them that makes them so memorable and distinctive for you? I think you touched on earlier, and I don't know if this is the perfect summary of it, but you feel special. Mm -hmm. And, And it's not due to a title. It's not due to salary. It's literally more than anything that someone spent the most precious thing they have, which is time. You know, when you start to prioritize as leaders, that's one of the most valuable assets you have. How do you allocate your time during the day? Like I have a very specific way I work um, where I spend all my time during the day with people and then I'll do the emails at night and other things because I feel personally, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong, I feel like you can accomplish so much more face-to-face and in COVID, Zoom-to-Zoom or Teams or whatever uh, tech platform you prefer, but you can resolve something, you get someone's intentions more, and frankly, it's just more fruitful. And it's, I think, the way we're meant to work. So those are my thoughts. I would say, to your point, you feel invested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a saying that sometimes my employers may not always love, but I'm like, 
you um, may have friends at the firm, but the firm is not always your friend. And I Mm -hmm. think when you recognize that Mm -hmm. and when then people leave, if they're going to do something great, you're happy for them. And I think that's the difference between a real leader and maybe a manager, that I'm, I'm happy for your success, even if it means it's not here. And so it's truly invested in that person, not just what that person can do for the company today. Love it. Jen, how about yourself? Great leadership for me is is very holistic. We have a, um, a saying, uh, heart, mind, and body at Build-A-Bear. And the heart, we add a little more heart to life. So we put heart into everything that we do. It's part of, um, part of our DNA. And that's about caring for each other. So good leadership, you, you truly feel cared for and not just in uh, making sure that you have, you know, all the table stakes for associates, great benefits, great work environment, but also taking care of development, the mind, making sure that we're giving people opportunities. I love great leadership to me personally is when I get an opportunity to try something new, um, when I can experiment and and fail in a safe way, um, learn from mistakes and and grow. That's great leadership. And then body, you know, how do we how do we take care of each other and make sure that uh, we're building a culture where people feel trusted? Um, that is such an important quality. I I probably can't put enough emphasis on trust. Trust among peer groups trust between all levels of the organization that information's being given correctly. So for me, great leadership is a really trust-laden relationship. The foundation for great brands and the foundation yeah. for great leaders. Yeah. I think that maybe it's just an offshoot of trust to its respect. Going back to what yeah. I was saying before, I'm because I'm taking myself into that moment when I'm in front of a leader. It I mentioned special, but it's also there's a trust where you can be vulnerable. So it's not that this leader is always going to give you praise. That to me is not a great leader. It's someone that you know respects you, which I think is critical, and someone that you trust. So you can hear difficult feedback. You can hear the praise, but you're open to it. And you know it's in your best interest as an individual. And going back to what you were saying, sometimes that that might even be a leader saying, you know, it's time to try something else because they're looking at you holistically and you can hear that you're receptive to it. Let's talk about leadership and coaching and training. Now, I assume the three of you think that leadership can be at least improved or coached or trained, or we wouldn't be here at the university. But I want you to think about that in terms of how, what's been effective for you in coaching leadership with your team. And on the maybe other side of that, what's been effective from people you've worked with in coaching and training you as a leader? Because again, this is a big word. Some people yeah. are a little bit more born to it than others, mm-hmm. as, in, as in many things. <laughs> but I, do, I have seen great success in people blossoming as a leader. I'm going to take an unconventional path to your question. Um, I actually think one of the best things that have happened to me in my career, and I'm very grateful at Estee Lauder, Um, I was particularly young to get a certain type of promotion and they provided me with a coach 
And initially, I will say my perception as a younger person was I do not need a coach. <laughs> I'm fine. And then, um, and by the way, I still work with that coach. Mm. He is phenomenal. So that has been actually a key element to me on becoming a leader to always have an external sounding board who I can process information with and is known different parts and different facets of me at different places. Um, I think I tell my children when I'm talking to my coach, you have sports coaches. There's no reason why in business, I wish there was a bit less of a stigma associated with the coach because similar to an athlete like Michael Phelps, everybody knows he has 12 coaches. In business, there is a point, yes, you can do courses and there's phenomenal ways to, you know, increase your financial acumen. But some of these softer skills, especially when you're put in transformational roles or have opportunities younger in your career than maybe your peer set, I think having a coach to coach you on being a great leader is actually one of the best assets you can have. How did this coach help you the most? Um, really being open and receptive to feedback and really emphasized empathy and understanding, uh, because a lot of the roles that I've been in is around change and having that empathy to peers and team members who are going through rapid change and how to understand from their perspective, how it might feel, how it might be perceived. And how did your coach help you do that? One of the ways, it's uh, through different testing, like the Hogan assessment, different mm -hmm. tests. I'm a big believer in, of Hogan. I think it's quite good. Um, and another way is just throughout periodic, you know, every week having meetings and talking about scenarios. So I implemented, just like a coach, I implemented asking more questions, being more silent during the meeting. This was the result okay, I'm making, I'm getting the outcome. This is amazing. How can I further develop that skill? So I really love the process. Jen, what's your experience in coaching and training leadership? Yeah, it's funny. I had a, a very similar experience as Emily. I, um, at one point in, in my career journey, I had a promotion and I questioned uh, myself, am I really ready for this? Do I have what it takes to now um, manage the scope of, of the responsibility I was given. And I sought a coach out on my own and, and invested in, in myself to pay for that and spend time with this individual to help me work through some of the challenges that I was facing in leading and guiding the team. And I think it was really foundational for me in starting my leadership journey and helped, uh, kind of get me off on the right start to have that person that I could go to confidentially and ask questions about how I was handling um, maybe certain employee um, issues or how I was handling myself in executive with regards to executive presence mm -hmm. and in meetings. And I felt that it gave me a, a really good foundation to build on. Um, but then I would say the journey changes over time. And I feel like there are these successions of moments that happen that require a different approach. And I, mm -hmm. I've been mm -hmm. really lucky to have uh, some great, just incredible bosses over the year years that have stopped and taken time to work me through 
different levels of leadership as I've continued my journey. And at each time, it's something different. Um, it's a different skill or maybe a different nuance that I need to start thinking a little bit more about and focusing a little bit more on. And so I guess it never ends, right? It just it mm-hmm. just keeps growing and evolving, and I'll be on this journey forever and just hope that along the way from it, you know, there's hopefully a, a, a large group of people who have had good careers and have felt challenged and at the end, you know, keep in touch and we can share all of our stories together. And I think that'll feel like success in leadership for me. (laughs) What are you working on now as a leader? You think about, you know, what, what's a skill or uh, an approach that you're working on now? I am, I'm really working on this new take on work, this sounds so funny. I'm going to say work-life balance out loud, and I just want to throw <laughs> that good. No, work-life good. Yes, it's, integration. It's a lightning work-life rod. I'm going to throw that out the window because yeah. I, I give long talks on how there's no such thing as that because it's different for every single person. But um, the change to hybrid work has really changed how I interact with my colleagues and and the team um, that I work on. And so I am right now working on how do I now manage those relationships in a different way? How do I still keep that connectivity and keep people motivated and keep reaching for that that growth and that excitement and that moment to celebrate from a distance? And so I'm really focused right now on how do how do we have people feel really attached to the brand, to the business when we're all spread out all over? For the first time in in the history of our company, we're hiring people in different states that will mm. never be at bear quarters. And so I'm really working through the the nuances of that. Let's have you back on the podcast when you figure that out. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, you could give a whole university yes. really? course on that one. Everyone's I, wrestling with it. We're making, I think, some really interesting strides in this area because of the type of brand that we mm-hmm. are. Um, we often joke that it would be fun to have, we call it experience first in in the office. We're not really in the office, experience first together. And we often talk about how it would be fun to to share our story of how we do that. It's a date. We love it. <laughs> you pick the time and you're welcome back. <laughs> Great. Leanne, how about you? What's worked for you in coaching or what's worked as you've coached others? Um, I think it, it's really from an organizational, kind of start with an organizational standpoint and to build off um, what others have said is it's having the the fear you know, of failure being removed, but it's also having the constructive criticism. And I think that you have to build a culture where that's acceptable. And a great leader who said, you know, after at the end of every week, we'd sit down and say, okay, what's the plus and the deltas? And so it just became the norm. And you went through and you said, this is what went well. This is what we can work on to improve. And so no one ever felt like they were being called out. So it was the culture that was built that really inspired this, you know, constructive criticism and running toward intellectual curiosity. And I think that was important to allow the coaching for leadership to be at a different level because it wasn't, oh, I'm going to point out something that I think you just need to work on um, along the way. So I think that's really important. And I've tried to take that and instill that with the teams um, that I work with, that it's it's okay to not get everything right 
And being able to talk about that, I think the more that we talk about it, it removes the stigma from it um, along the way. And I also think it's always changing. Um, so with every new role um, or even in the same role after a number of years, it changes and the requirements change for what, um, especially as the market changes, what leadership needs today um, and what's made you successful in the past may not be what works today. We had a round table a few weeks ago on the show about career development. It was three amazing women, as you are, speaking about career development. And Nigel Teeter-Reed talked about, she's the CMO of Logitech. She said, feedback. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's the so most critical. important thing Which to, to receive to feedback and mm -hmm. to give feedback. And we just don't do it enough. None of us. It's the biggest gift we can give and get. It's hard to learn to do it well. It is. It is. I think there, and this goes back doing it well, and it's time. Yes. It goes back to the principle. You have to carve out the time. And I think doing it, I so deeply believe in constructive feedback, but also doing it in a way that the person can receive it. Mm -hmm. And again, in a safe way. Giving constructive feedback in a large room mm -hmm. with one person, I don't consider safe. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's modifying, but it's that's such a great point. Completely agree with but that. But it is right. You're so right. It's the time, how you do it, in mm -hmm. what situation, what's the context. So important. And going back to leadership, adapting your style for your employee. Because Incredible. not every single employee is going to be able to hear it the same way. Well, I think to your point with the Hogan assessment and others, one of the things that I've learned is the way that I like to receive feedback is mm -hmm. not always um, how I give the feedback myself, if that makes sense. And so really being able to modify, mm -hmm. um, which is funny as marketers, that's all we talk about, right? Is how do you really customize. reach your- Yeah, how do you customize? customize? How do you reach your audience? Yeah. And then to take a step back and say, oh, I probably, let me modify this in a way that allows the other person to actually hear the message. Mm -hmm. um, is That was a really important um, thing from some assessments that I've had that kind of opened my eyes differently. Totally agree. To hear the message and change behavior. Yes. It takes time. It does. Mm -hmm. It does. And I think that's the art of leadership. Agreed. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Now, we often hear that leadership is tested in adversity, and that's somewhat true. It's not always true. I think leadership in times of great success and celebration is, is also important. But I'd like each of you to think about a time in your career where you were challenged, where you were maybe uncertain, where your confidence was shaken, which is the hardest thing, and how you navigated through that and how you came out the other side of that, feeling like you grew, you gained some more perspective, you gained more depth as a leader. So we're getting personal on this question to think about a time in your career where it was not easy and you somehow got through it. What did you leverage? What skills did you draw upon? How did you change as a leader because of that? The fa faces here for my listeners are all very pensive. Okay. <laughs> so, no, I'll so go. So who wants I'll to go, go first? Go. I had, I think, 
a privilege beyond belief as a marketer where I was able to join Keds as the CMO as they were going into their centennial. Oh, what's wow. wrong? Right? I mean, if you if anyone could see my face right now, I glow. Um, it's I mean, you dream of this as a marketer and to position a brand for its next century um, to live well beyond you. And where I'm going on this story is part of this because it had 100 years of history. As a marketer, this is a dream, but there's also a lot there. There are a lot of sacred cows. There's a lot of perception on, by the way, our uh, celebrity at the time was Taylor Swift. There were a lot of things to unpack. This was also around the time when Me Too, the movement, was just starting. And I had this amazing moment to be in the archives of Keds. And I'm flipping through photographs of Marilyn Monroe, Audrey Hepburn, and then other photographs of these women on tennis courts in high heel shoes, then another one of these women in Keds. And I was like, wait a minute, were we the first shoe? And I went to, I call them the archives, someone within Wolverine, his father created Stride Right and everything else. I went to the archives, Tom, and I was like, wait a minute, were we the first sneakers for women in sports? And he's like, yes, we were. And I was like, okay, here's the, yes, here's the golden nugget or the seed. So there was this idea then, a new campaign and positioning around female empowerment and ladies first since 1916. And where this tested my leadership is this was a very different um, direction than the brand had been for many years before and even our spokesperson. Um, and that, what I dug deep on that was how I would storytell and get the board of directors, the president at the time, and all of our global wholesale distribution, why this made sense and how this was the core DNA of the brand and also how it would materially drive value creation for the business. So this was a lot of negotiation. This was a lot of um, consulting, getting input, hearing people, and then even learning more about different cultures, how to localize it, and really made it come to life. But it was a journey. How did you, I assume, you celebrated that part of the DNA of the brand. And good for you to go back yes. and look for the mm-hmm. DNA of the brand, right? Not everyone does that. Very, very powerful journey to look into the DNA of any brand. I also had a great president at the time okay. who knew the DNA very well, too. But how did you uh, influence change in the celebration of the 100 years? It sounds like everyone embraced it. You went to market with it. Yes, but it took a bit of time. And also we shifted, I created with my team, a global collective of Keds influencers. This was pre-influencers being a big thing. Um, yeah, it, it, it definitely was um, celebrated, but it took a while. And I believe almost going back to my digital or technology roots, it's have a beta, see the success, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. scale it. Yeah. So it was showing, let's try a small rollout of this in one market and show how it's received and then scale it globally and accordingly. And then by the time it really is widespread, everyone's feeling comfortable, excited, and is moving with you on the journey as a partner. Leanne, your story of leadership under adversity. Uh, well, it's a family-friendly podcast, but I was going to say, does wine count? Yeah, okay. no, go for it. No, we- <laughs> 
I'm, I'm, I'm on board. This is not always family friend. friendly, and that's perfectly okay. I was looking for that over the yes. tea. I won't lie. No, um, I, I think it's. Um, I think it's really two things. One, um, so I have the unique role that I also lead the product strategy and, and technology, and it's it is that agile development. It yes. is the try it out, fail fast, um, and then learn from it, move forward. But along with that, I think it is the collaboration um, that you need, um, not only with people that may agree with you, but quickly going to the detractors and finding how you can build that bridge with the detractors and get um, their involvement and their input as you're going through the agile development cycle. And I think that, you know, that requires a little bit of psychology, sales, data, all of the above. But I think it's um, human nature to want to go to the supporters first. And I would say it's the opposite. Mm -hmm. I would go to your detractors first and get all of the things that they're going to throw at you ahead of time. That's such good advice. To start to move along. I had a boss who once said, if you have a great idea and a kind of a disruptive idea, find out who really loves it and let them start to pilot it. But go listen to the detractors. Listen carefully, listen openly, and take it all in. But at the same time, go to the advocates and let them start trying it. That's Mm -hmm. a great concept. That's like a twist. I agree with you on the detractors. That was the most important thing going on to this campaign was sitting down with them. And I will say they had great ideas. I'm sure you guys probably heard of the book, you know, Think Again by Adam Grant. But Mm -hmm. it's like one of the things is if you can sit there and really listen to them. Mm Mm-hmm. And change how you're thinking about it. That that's success, right? Not agreeing and not getting into group think and allowing that to take place. So most attractors are not jerks, right? They're doing it for a reason, they're and they're passionate. smart people. They yes. have the same intent you have. So there is something there. There is always something. There. Yeah. There's a different lens or angle, and I think, as you said, it's being open mm-hmm. and truly being open versus saying thanks. Check. Yeah. I met yep. with whomever. It's, gosh, I could integrate this, and I hadn't thought of that. Could we brainstorm? Maybe there's an option C that neither one of us had thought of prior. I think it's important to find your safe zone, too, because when you're going through that and through that difficult time, there are times that uh, I'll go into our CEO's office now, and I'll say, I don't need you to do anything, but I need to vent. And in 10 minutes, I'll be done. But, you know, you have to, I think you have to establish that as well um, for your own sanity. It is intense, as you said. Yes. Definitely. Jen, you're sitting on the edge of the sofa here. You're doing, you're working on a Build-A-Bear. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your take on all this? Well, I do. I love this, this discussion around going to the detractors and really understanding where the roadblocks may be when, you know, you're up against a, a big, big challenge, uh, particularly with a project or trying to get, you know, something pushed through. I was trying to think of, you know, some of the adversity that maybe I came up against, you know, throughout the years. And I, I keep coming back to moments when um, there's been a a need for organizational change. Mm. And I, I feel like getting buy-in and getting alignment around organizational change can be one of the harder parts of leadership, mm-hmm. because now you're getting into people, getting into roles. And I really feel over the years that those have been some of the most challenging discussions that I've had is, you know what, the business has changed 
And we're going to have to pull apart the way that we're structured and the way that we're working together. And we're going to have to build a new structure and a new set of guardrails and, and a framework to work within. And those discussions, I think, are some of the toughest. And over the years, I feel like I've developed um, a process to do that that includes um, meeting with every individual that I believe will be somehow touched in change and just spending time hearing where are they facing roadblocks? What would they see as success in their role if they could rewrite their own roles and responsibilities? What are some of the things they might be interested in doing that they haven't had a chance to to work on or be exposed to or be around? And then stew on all that information for a good chunk of time, pressure test some organizational structures around it, sit with HR for a while, sit with the, you know, my executive peers um, before rolling them out. I feel like so many times I've witnessed organizational changes that maybe there wasn't quite enough diligence done um, around the structure, that taking the time to do that could be one of the most valuable things because a high-performance team is so fun to work with. The rewards of a high-performance team make getting up in the morning an awesome day at work every day. For everyone, (laughs) right? Yeah. But for everyone involved. It's so important, a point you made. I I think everyone should think about the unique work they can do in their role so that you're not doing something someone else could do. Mm -hmm. And most CMOs, the only people who can really tackle organizational change, preparing the organization for the future, what's the work of the future, how do we organize? That's kind of only something we can do. Mm-hmm. And, and it culture. is the toughest work. Right. And I would say defining culture increasingly. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's all related. Yes. Fully agree work, with you. capabilities, culture, career paths, it's all related. Yeah. And it's 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 only, I mean, I have a legacy at P&G. That's what I did. Mm-hmm. I thought through all those things and helped us change to prepare the company for the future. It was hard. It took years. Well, and I think you just bring up an interesting thing with P&G. Um, and, you know, when I've been in companies driving change that are multi-brand, I think, and you would get that, there's definitely a sticky wicket there yeah, sure in the is. sense that, okay, you're going to modify the org structure, work processes, resource allocation within brand X, then every other brand is watching. Now, they want you to succeed in many ways, and they're excited. Some do not. But it becomes like a little petri dish or ecosystem that everybody's fascinated to see. Will this scale outwards? So I actually I commend you on P and G and doing that in the multi brand environment. I think those have been some of the most challenging leadership roles I've had. Yeah, just trying to do absolutely. that work. I, I do think some of the one of the most important partnerships today, though, between the CMO is also with the chief talent officer. Mm-hmm. And really working through those, mm-hmm. to your point, because it's as much of an internal branding in any of those changes as anything, you know, and it doesn't matter what you do externally if we're not internally there. And so um, that partnership, you know, a couple of years ago, we would all talk about digital and technology. And now, I think particularly in the last two and a half years, the CMO and the chief talent officer is probably the closest partnership that needs to be there to drive that change. We have about 52 rising CMOs in Deloitte University this week, and every one of them was interviewed before they came here, and their bosses were interviewed. 
So we have this really interesting database about what's on their mind. And I'd like you to comment on two things that came out of those interviews. And the first one is they're coming here yearning to sort of understand how the marketing space is evolving and what they need to do to prepare themselves for the future. Now that's the trillion dollar question, right? And, and almost an impossible one to answer. But I would like you to riff on that a bit. How is our space changing? And what would be your advice to these 52 rising CMOs to prepare for that? First off, I think being a CMO is one of the most, or head of marketing, whatever the title is, I think is such an amazing opportunity for anyone who is insanely curious as being one of the skills. And I, you, I think you tend to find many CMOs who are very intensely curious. And why I think that's so critical is I think about a head of marketing role five years ago versus the skills now versus I couldn't tell you what it will be mm -hmm. in 10. Um, it goes back to, I think we've touched on this, agility. And I do think one of the most important things, we actually haven't touched on it yet as CMOs, is creativity. And I think, you know, and I, that can be literal in an artistic sense, but it also can be creativity as it pertains to processes, um, organizational design, et cetera. Um, so I guess what I would implore future CMOs is know, think of yourself or your brand as like a Venn diagram. Understand very succinctly and clearly you know, where are your strengths? Where are your passion points? Where do they all intersect? But also do that same exercise where you may have weaknesses or things that you don't love and make sure that you shore those up. For example, um, I think there's a huge opportunity for so many CMOs to really bulk up their financial acumen muscle and have that humility, sit down with your CFO or head of finance and say, you know, I've worked in both public and private companies, understand what a 13-week cash flow means, mm -hmm. understand what a debt covenant is, understand if you're reporting to the street what that means, what the implications are. Um, I think that's a huge asset for a CMO because then you can ground the programs and what you're doing and team decisions with that additional fluency in that language, which I think can tremendously help you. Love it, Jen. Well, I think what they're doing right here is great. Coming here and investing in learning and growing, I think, is one of the most important things that marketers can do today. Um, it is incredible how quick the marketing industry is changing. It is it is just rapid fire. It used to be you went to upfronts, you bought TV, you you <laughs> so, planned all of these uh, things, yeah. and you made your investment, and you kind of sat back and you watched. And, and we thought we were busy, your, then, right? right? We were so busy, and so now naive. I mean, I, I liken it to you know waking up in the morning and having this dashboard and going in and turning all the dials and tweaking and learning, and so. Um, you know, the best advice that I would give is to stay as current as possible, be on a continuous learning journey, never stop. Um, it's okay to go back to school, even if you're, you know, 50 years old, it's okay to, you know, sign up and, and go back to school and then be willing to fail fast. That is what is so awesome about marketing today is 
We get immediate feedback. We, we can, do. we've got data, we've got numbers, stitch it all together, fail fast, move on, tweak the dials, don't panic because you can adjust things along the way. And we don't have to be quite as glossy and produced as we used mm -hmm. to be. People are actually very open and welcoming to things that are authentic. And I think that that is, um, allows marketers today to, to really be agile, stay agile and be really comfortable with change and, and quick speed and don't let it throw you for a loop. <laughs> Leanne, anything to add to that? Yeah, I would say um, my advice is it, it is art and science. And it's the, it's the most beautiful thing, right? It's why love it. we love what we do because you do have the art and the creativity. But the science behind it is, yes, you have to understand the market trends, um, and you really do need to understand um, the finances. Like um, as a B2B marketer, I would say that is um, more than anything. Um, and really think of yourself as you're driving growth for the organization. And if you're going to drive growth, you need to understand the top line and the bottom, bottom line and how do you drive profitable um, growth along the way. So I think being able to embrace those both sides and figure out the way to pull them together um, is critical uh, for the success. And then always be willing to learn more because it's going to change what works today is going <laughs> to be completely different uh, and it, even next year. Can I add one thing too that I realized for everyone who is here at this amazing facility and has this opportunity, build your network. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so, network going back to an ambiguous term and can mean many things, but at least for me, I'm actually an introvert. Um, it just can mean connecting with one or two people. And what I think is personally magical is those one or two people you might connect with in 36 hours. You can call them and say, remember we were talking about this? I'm about to pilot this. What happened at your company? And there's a vulnerability and a trust. That cadre of people are just, uh, it, it's worth it for both parties. And it's just beautiful friendships. To your point, and you get outside of your own network, which right? is very important, and the industries that you're in, and, and mm -hmm. you can learn from the different industries and different experiences, mm -hmm. and then take it back um, to apply it to what you're dealing with. Which is exactly what we're doing right now at this roundtable, which is what's so beautiful about it. Now, the second theme I want you to comment on is more personal, and this is an interesting one. This was a strong theme. There's a desire to learn how to stand out, to be one of the few who takes the next step to the C-suite. So that's a rich one, a complicated one. How did each of you stand out? It's a little bit of a weird word, but it's how do you how do you get chosen? How do you earn it? How do you you know there are always candidates for every spot in the C-suite. It gets very competitive up there where the air is light. So how did each of you navigate that? How did you, if you will, stand out to reach the position you are in now and the positions you have been in? Well, you can't be afraid to break the glass. I mean, that's that I would say more than anything. And that that has a lot of fear and vulnerability along with it, but you can't be afraid to break the glass. And then also and when you say break the glass, you mean, you know, you have to say the things sometimes and do the things that aren't always popular and be willing to bring the others along with you to do that. I think that's probably key um, along the way. And then take accountability for it as well. The successes and the failures. I'm going to be honest, it's never been an objective for mm -hmm. me on how to stand out. Um, 
So maybe that's why I'm grappling with it. I never had that as a personal objective. Um, to me, it's been more about, I guess, how myself and my team have, because to me, you're part of a team, is it's about being innovative and connecting the dots. And I literally mean whether it's data or global trends or financial challenges somewhere, and it's connecting all of these things in a unique way that you can then bring forth to the organization and to the consumer. And if you're able to do that successfully with your team, then you do get the Kager growth and the profitability. And then you do get recognized and asked to help pilot X, Y, and Z or mm -hmm. growth opportunities. But I would caution anyone who's thinking about just trying to stand out. Mm -hmm. The wrong objective is what you're saying. I think there are other ones yes. that mm -hmm. might be better. If I try to, you know, interpret and read between the lines a little bit on that comment, I would, looking back, probably taking those projects that most people didn't raise their hand yes. for first and being willing to work on some of the things that were not necessarily considered the easy wins um, might have helped me connect with other executives in the company to demonstrate that I was willing to take some risks, try my best on projects that didn't always have, you know, the the success factors clear and obvious at the beginning and and allowing myself to maybe show that I could creatively approach some some of those challenging projects early on might have helped me develop relationships with other executives in the company that then looked my way when there were openings and opportunities to say, you know what, mm -hmm. this is someone who's willing to get in, get their hands dirty, um, ask a lot of questions and learn something outside of their comfort zone and and take on some challenges. I, I think that that is something that's widely recognized as desirable as someone's moving up mm -hmm. um, and delivering results, uh, being capable at the end of the day of, you you said it, Emily, stitching together enough information and data to put forth projects that will deliver results. I think it's good to participate in other projects too, actively participate in the projects right. you're not leading to gain a broader understanding of the business, but to also, um, it's so important to have the collaboration hmm. And so the more that you participate, and sometimes I, you know, to read between the lines too, sometimes it's not just the projects you own, but it's the projects that you actively participate and help others grow to do help a lot as well. And one, one more thing, <laughs> building great teams does matter. Being able to put together a team of people that are really high functioning and deliver results also gets noticed. Mm -hmm. So I would I would say spending that time that point. Yeah. spending and that time them. on yes. and retaining and retaining them, them. Yep. so it's yep. not just and the shiny thing like team at one point and working retaining well. them for years. Yeah, working well yeah. with yes. them, being invested with them in the business I think goes a long way. The three of you are experienced successful leaders. Where do you go for inspiration on your leadership now? Do you go, do you listen to podcasts, read books, go to sessions like this? So what's your richest source of inspiration for leadership? 
So I think this discussion today, seriously, has been phenomenal. So I thank you very much for having yes. me to be part of this. Um, so I would cite something like this. I actually, podcasts I do love, I actually have decided to start reading history books. And about, so I just, um, or nonfiction, I just finished Leonardo da Vinci. Mm -hmm. I'm in the middle of Einstein. So I'm taking different angles, again, going back to like disparate pieces of information. Um, and I also feel very fortunate. Um, I have the opportunity to work with some incredible people on the boards that I participate in and learn from them because they're all from very different backgrounds. This year, one of my personal goals was to re-engage in, you said it earlier, Emily, networking um, so that I could get re-exposed again. I felt like after a couple of years of not having enough interaction that it was time to double down in this area. So I joined um, Women in Retail, um, which is a great organization. And I know, Emily, you, you participated in it as well. And there's so many opportunities to see other leaders in action and listen to them. And then Women Corporate Directors, because I serve mm -hmm. on a, a board of a, a small public company as well. And through both of those this year, I feel like I've had a great opportunity to listen and hear, take notes and grab all those little tidbits um, that I can start you know, thinking about and, and filtering through my own um, leadership style. Um, I'm also fortunate to work for a leader, our CEO, um, Sharon John of Build-A-Bear, um, recently wrote a book called Stories in Heart, um, The Journey to the Life You'll Love. And she is a really inspiring leader. So I'm lucky that I there's a bit of a halo there that I can pull some energy from all the time in that area. Um, so I have that, as well as the the executive team at, at Build-A-Bear, very um, different types of leadership there. So I get to pull from each of their their styles all the time. So I, I think choosing to work in a company where you really respect the other leaders you're working with and know that you're thriving off of each other, you are getting energy from each other versus the opposite of that is is one of the most important decisions you can make and when yeah. you're thinking about it's, where you that's are. That's why I stayed at P&G yeah. for many years. <laughs> it was full of people like that. Right. Leanne, how about yourself? How are you inspired? I would definitely say the um, the last couple of years, it's the connecting now that I feel like. So one of my objectives is the network that I have. I feel like I've just lost connection with them over the yeah. last two years. So, you know, just going back to the basics of the connections and reaching out in a different way. That's important. But um, during COVID, we did something um, as a team where we went to, you know, old school book club. And what I would say was wonderful mm, is every quarter great, the team nice. picks a book and we read it. And then we actually have a discussion about oh, it. That's great. And what's been so nice is it's from all levels in the organization. So entry level, you know, kids right out of college to uh, senior, other senior executives. And it's been so nice to just discuss topics kind of like we're doing today and sh share and then think about how they could be applied. Mm -hmm. um, that has been something that's been really nice as an inspiration. And some of the insights that come from people, particularly that don't have as many years, it has, has been great to hear. So hearing mm -hmm. the, the younger generation talk about these topics, that's been really inspiring. Final question. We have a lot of young listeners on this podcast and they listen to it for development, for inspiration. They'd love to be in jobs like yours someday. So what's your last parting piece of advice at this leadership conference to our young listeners who would love to be in your jobs? 
what's a pithy piece of advice for them in their career, in their lives right now? My group is pensive again. (laughs) (laughs) It just seems very heavy. (laughs) I think, okay, I will, I'm not going to focus on the functional part of CMO, Mm -hmm. but I think one of the most important aspects um, is being comfortable with yourself and embracing who you are. And also, I think as you touched on earlier, finding the environment where you thrive Mm -hmm. and it's mutual. And that's when it's an intersection. It, it it really is magical for both, for everybody, as a matter of fact. So I think spend the time going back to what we said earlier on leadership, spend the time learning you so then you can be the best leader possible to inspire your team, to be there for your team and to progress in your career. And it will happen. I think um, I think it was Brene Brown that said, you know, find where you thrive and not just survive. And I think the first thing is to identify when you are thriving versus surviving. And mm-hmm. particularly, um, that's a hard thing to do, right? Yes. Um, and to really be able to take inventory and say, oh, I'm thriving here. I'm actually not surviving. And so along with that, I'd say really take the time to identify where where and what are the characteristics that you're going to thrive so that then you you can you can find that and um, not to be afraid um, often when new roles or projects come up imposter syndrome is really a real thing um, coming into this podcast I can say I feel that you know you feel that and you're like oh wait I can do this um, and so not to uh, not to let that keep you from trying or doing it I second that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. We have a session at this conference on imposter syndrome. We're, we're available. Oh, yes. yeah. Yeah. Like, I should pro- we we should take it. We'll be your backup party. Yes. Oh, I'm going to try Jen, not. Yeah, you're yeah, the last Try word. not to get too, you know, out there. However, I do think. Go for it. All right. I'll I'll give a little. I'll get a little bit out there. I personally find that it is very helpful to ground myself at least annually and then check against this. Oh. What am I trying to achieve? What is it that I personally need to have a successful life? And to write down those goals, jot that mission down, and just check against it throughout the year. Are are the things that I'm working on really taking me there? And that discipline to do that every year and quarterly check in on it is so important. I keep a a small spiral notebook in the second drawer of my desk and I pull that drawer open and I pull that notebook out and open it up and just read what I wrote and just level set on a regular basis. I I find that to be really grounding. I I want to do that. I want to be part of your QBRs. These are better than any I've been in. So Jen, if you're willing to go there, what did you write down for this year? And how are you, how are you doing? Oh, well, is that another session? This could could be another session. Oh, I I did. I wrote down an in-depth list of goals around reconnecting, reconnecting with friends, uh, prior to the pandemic, I traveled. I left Monday morning and I came home Thursday or Friday night and I did this for 12 straight years, 49 weeks a year. And so this year I said, yeah. we are going to have the most successful year the brand has ever had. I, we are fully committed to that. And I personally am going to do that in a holistic way because I will 
have heart, mind, and body working for me this year. And so I have I have stayed committed to it, um, which has included a lot more exercise and healthy eating and reconnecting with friends and then taking all that energy and putting it back into work. I've I've never felt better about this year. That's great. We so need to end on that. Yes. That's okay, a sorry. beautiful way yeah. to end. That is fantastic advice for all of us. Thank you, all three of you, Leanne, you. Emily, Jen. Wonderful discussion. It's it's just been too good. So thank you for your generosity. Thank you. Thank you fun. for having yes. us. That was my roundtable discussion with Jen, Emily, and Leanne. We had lots of fun, and here are three quick takeaways from this great conversation. First, the importance of humility and leadership. Second, Curiosity is a key characteristic for leadership. And last one, coaches, leaders, no matter how senior, should have either formal or informal coaches. This has helped all three of these amazing women become even better leaders. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, Leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.